thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be, that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void. But it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Now, again, verse 11 is, is really what I want us to see in regards to this passage of Scripture here in Isaiah 55. Yes, the Lord's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And that's the reason these things that He tells us are very counterintuitive to our thinking, to our own wisdom, because that's not how, Lord, that's not how I'd work that out. I've got, I've got a better, I think I've got a better way, Lord. I think I can, I think I can get to the point more directly than you can. And his, his point to us here is, look, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And he says in verse 11, which is so important, my word will not return unto me void. Amen. Now, we often use that verse, we often use that, that phrase there in verse number 11 to describe us going forth and preaching the gospel and sending the gospel out into the world that the Lord will use his word and, we'll, and that's exactly what he's going to do. He's going to do that just as he says here. But it also goes to the point of these things here in the Scriptures, these commands that he gives to us, these things that he tells us and how we are to live, even though it does not make sense to us, even though it does not follow our wisdom, what God says he will do with those things that he tells us to do, he is going to do it. He's going to accomplish it just like he says. And so if he says, do it this way, trust me. Do it this way, we do it that way, trusting him, knowing that his way is going to accomplish exactly what he says it's going to accomplish. That his word will not return unto him void, but it will do exactly what he has sent it out for. And so in this idea of following our Lord being obedient in these things, particularly that He tells us that are, are counterintuitive to our way of thinking. It comes down to us trusting what God has said He's going to do with them. Follow Him. Do His will. Obey what He has declared. And let Him work out the details. Because His Word will not return unto Him void. He's going to do exactly what He says He's going to do. So let's go to him in a word of prayer as we continue in our study this morning. Our Father in heaven, we thank you again for this day. We thank you, Father, again for your great grace, for your mercy that you've given us. Or this, this another day that we can come into your house together to spend this time in worship of you. Father, we're so thankful for your word that you've given us. We're so thankful that you've instructed us, that you've not left us to ourselves but that you've given us your word that we know how to follow you, that we know who you are, that we know how to serve you, that we know what you've given for us and this so great a salvation provided in Christ Jesus our Lord. How you expect us to live and serve you, Father. We thank you that you've given us these directions by your word. Help us, Father, to be found faithful to it. Help us, Father, to, to walk in it as you've given us, that we, would, that we would do exactly what you've declared for us to do, that we might serve you faithfully in it. That we would trust you, Father, 
as you promised to work these things according to your will for us. And Father, we pray that you would uh, bless each soul that's come this way today. Bless each soul that hears this message today, that our hearts and our minds would be turned toward you. That we would be holding fast to that which you've given us. And we pray, Father, that you would empower us today to be found faithful servants of your name. That you'd give us strength, Father, to ignore our wisdom and follow, Father, what you have given for us by your word. Go with us now, we pray. for the, We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now, again, many of these things we find in uh, many of these counterintuitive thoughts the Lord gives us in the Sermon on the Mount. And we, we may look at one of those today as we, we consider these things. Um, but again, these, these ideas, and, and we talked a great deal about this last week, about what I was meaning in regards to these counterintuitive thoughts. These ideas... They don't make sense to our wisdom. They don't make sense especially to uh, the, the carnal mind. Uh, and even the, even the spiritual mind, even the mind of, that is on Christ Jesus, even the new nature that's given us, we struggle with it even then uh, to see what God is working and what he has declared for us to do in these things. And so I've got, I've got four here that I want to look at. I don't know if I'll expand it further out of these four, but I've got these four that I want to look at and, and these, these ones that stick out here for us in the Scripture. But go over to Mark chapter 10 to begin with. And let's look here, beginning in verse 43, at one of these examples of, of being great in the kingdom of God. Mark chapter 10, I went all the way back to Matthew. Mark chapter 10. In fact, go back up to verse 35 real quick and let's look at the situation here. Mark chapter 10, verse number 35. It says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. We've got something, Lord, we, we need to ask of you. We've been, we've been talking and we've been thinking about this. And, you know, we've been, we've been following you for some time now and, and, and we've, been, we've been serving you and I think we've done a pretty good job of it. We've been faithful at it and we've, we've got something to ask of you, Lord. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. You know, we, we, we've been faithful to you. We followed you all along. And quite frankly, you know that Simon Peter. Have you heard the things he said? I mean, obviously we are more spiritual than he. So, so why don't you? And Thomas, he's doubting. He's always doubting. All these other guys, I mean, Lord, you, you see how they behave. You, you, clearly, me and John, or, Jay, or John would say, me and James, <laughs> clearly, we, we, are, we would like to be on your side. We need, we need, I think we should be seated next to you. I mean, we were one of your first, Lord. Obviously, the most faithful. 
Make us. Make us chief in your kingdom. Help us. Lord, grant to us that we might sit by your side. To have that position of honor. They said. Verse 38, but Jesus said unto them, you know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? See, they were still at this point, and, they, and for, for that matter, for the whole of the Lord's ministry before his death, they were always in the line of thinking, okay, he's going to take his kingdom. Okay, he's going to take his kingdom. Okay, he's, he's, he's going to set up his throne. Okay, he's, going, he's about to rule. This is where it's going to happen. This is going to, this is going to happen here. He's going to do it. He never would do what they were expecting him to do. When the Jews were looking for their Messiah to come on a white horse with an army and kick Rome out. That's what they were looking for. And his disciples with him, they hadn't gotten rid of that view. They were still thinking along those same lines. And the Lord says, you have no idea what you're asking. You have no idea what, what I am about to go through for you. And they said unto him, verse 39, we can. We can drink of that cup. We're able to handle it. He says, you shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. And with the baptize, a baptism rather that I am baptized with all, shall ye be baptized but to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give. But it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, the rest of them heard it. You, you imagine the, the other ten standing there listening to John and James. Oh my goodness. Listen to them too. It's a fool of their selves. They know better than that. I'm the one that should be sitting there next to him. The other ten heard it. And they began to be much displeased with James and John trying to get ahead. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. So shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And so what does the Lord say? He says, if you want to rule in my kingdom, then you're going to be a servant. Amen. If you're going to rule in my kingdom, you're going to serve others. It's not about authority. It's not about ruling and reigning. It's not about the glory that we would receive 
from that ruling and reigning, but rather, he says, if you're going to be somebody in my kingdom, if you're going to rule over the Gentile nations, is what they were looking for. We won't sit on your right hand and on your left hand. We're going to rule over these Gentiles. He said, if you're going to rule over the nations of the earth with me, you're going to be a servant. You're going to be a servant to those that you want to reign over. So in order to be rewarded, in order to be ruling, in order to be reigning, he says, you have to serve. We all want to feel like we're doing good, like we're excelling in our work. We're taught to do our best in everything. And so we want to excel, we want to do good, we want to, we want to be successful in the things that we set our hearts and our minds to. Strive for excellence. It's what we want to teach our children. It's what we want to teach our grandchildren. Strive for excellence. Be the best you can be. It's what Scripture even tells us to do. To strive to be as best as we can in everything that we set our hands to. But to excel in God's kingdom, to excel there, what He demands of us to show forth that excellence is to be a servant to everyone else. To serve others before ourselves. Exalt yourself and you will be humbled. Humble yourself and you will be exalted. Luke chapter 14 and verse number 11 we see here is Luke 14, verse number 11. The Lord makes this very statement. For whosoever exalted themselves shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. He that humbleth himself shall be exalted. That's backwards for our thinking. That's backwards for worldly wisdom. Hey, if we're wanting, we want to, we want to achieve, we want to excel, we want to, we want to be exalted in some way. Then I need to get up on a soapbox. I need to, I need to make myself known. I need to, I need to be out telling. Uh, I need to be out uh, uh, serving myself, getting myself where I need to be in order for me to be successful. That's not what God says. It's not what the Lord says. The Lord says here, serve, be a servant to others. Be a servant then. First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five. And verse number five and verse number six. First Peter five, verse five and six. He says, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. And be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. 
casting all your care upon him. For he careth for you. So wait a minute, if I'm humbling myself, if I'm, if I'm giving myself to serve others, if I'm subjecting myself to everybody else, how do I know that they're not going to turn around and stomp on me? How do I know that they're not going to take advantage of that while I'm being humble and serving and giving myself to, submitting myself or subjecting myself to one another? That's what verse 7 is about, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. His word will not return unto him void. It will do. We have to trust him. It will do exactly what he says it will do. Now that does not mean everybody else is going to be perfect. It does not mean everybody else is going to be right. But it does mean that we can trust God to take care of us as we are obedient to Him. That we can trust Him to do exactly what He says He's going to do as we are obedient to Him. And so if we desire exaltation as our motivation for service, if we have that mindset of James and John there, that they have in Mark chapter 10, if we have that desire, that's our motivation for service. If we say, all right, the Lord says, if I want to be exalted, I've got to serve Him. So I'm going to serve, I'm going to serve, I'm going to serve, so He can exalt me. If that's what we're doing, if that's our motivation for it, then we have the wrong heart. We have the wrong heart. As the Lord says, it's not mine to give. It's not mine to give. You just be faithful to serve. If we have humbled ourselves, if we've truly humbled ourselves before our King, if we've truly given ourselves to serve Him and to worship Him as He has called us to do, we're not going to worry about being exalted. Because our concern, our heart, is the exaltation of our Lord. That He would be exalted. Our chief aim, our chief aim in our life, the very purpose for which we are to live and to serve, is to bring glory to our King. To bring glory to Him. That's what it's to be about. To bring glory to Him. And so that's what our hearts need to be turned toward. Now, if you're going to be first, you'll be last. If you're going to be exalted, you'll be abased. If you're abased, be exalted. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We have another. We have another one of these counterintuitive things. Paul struggled with this one. I love this passage. Um, because it is, it is a prime example of this 
counterintuitive thinking that God has provided here. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to begin in verse 1 and read down through verse number 10 as Paul describes his situation. Paul writing here to the church at Corinth, this is his third letter that he wrote to them, his second that we have recorded for us in the Scriptures. And this second letter is in regards to the first one we have recorded in 1 Corinthians and all the things they had wrong there, all the things that they had out of order there in the first letter that he wrote. Uh, he's gotten an answer from them. They've made these changes and... And remarkably, they, they gave heed to what Paul had told them, and they were correcting these things in the process of, of serving the Lord as the Lord had uh, called them to serve, as Paul had directed them in the Scripture, in the, in the letters that he'd written. And so Paul is, is thanking them here for their correction, for them paying heed to what he's saying. And he gives a testimony of himself here, uh, verse in chapter 11 there toward the end of that just declaring what who he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews and he describes all the things he endured and all the things that he had suffered thus far for the cause of Christ and his service to the Lord all the things that he had lost in that service to the Lord and what it had cost him to be faithful to serve the Lord and so he's, he's speaking about all of these things in his giving himself to the service of his king and he, he begins here in verse chapter 12, rather than verse 1. He said, it's not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such a one caught up to the third heaven. Paul wouldn't even say, it was me. <laughs> he, he, was so, he was so humbled in what the Lord had done in him here as he's describing this in chapter 12 that he wouldn't even acknowledge here as he's describing the scenario. He wouldn't even acknowledge this is what happened to me. He said he wasn't going to glory in that. He wasn't, he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to brag on himself. Look what God has done in my life for me to make me so great. He wasn't going to say those things. By no means. He said, he gives the account. I knew a man about 14 years ago. And this one, whether in the body, he says, I cannot tell. Whether out of the body, I cannot tell. He don't know if he was actually caught up in the body or whether it was a vision that was given. He wasn't for sure. All he knew it was. It's all he knew. It happened. He was called up to the third heaven in the presence of the Lord and heard these things. And he says in verse 3, And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which is not lawful for a man to utter. God blessed him with a great a great revelation, great vision to see these things. Of such an one will I glory. Yet of myself I will not glory. But in mine infirmities. Paul says I'll glory in the fact of what God has done for me. I'll glory in the fact 
of what he has given for me, but I'm not going to glory in me. Right? He says, I'll glory in my infirmities. I'll glory in my troubles. I'll glory in my trials and my tribulations. Uh, is that how we look at them usually? When the burden is heavy on us, when we're in the midst of the trial itself, when it's weighing so heavy on our hearts, when we see the destruction that it does in us, no matter what it may be, is that the first thing that usually comes to our minds? I'm going to glorify God in this. No. No. Usually our prayer is very much like Paul's here is, and he begins to tell, Lord, get this out of me. Lord, take this from me. I don't want this, Lord. Do something about this. Take care of this. And so Paul says here that he was given this wonderful opportunity by God, brought into the third, heard these things unspeakable, not lawful for man to utter. And he says in verse 6, for though I would desire to glory, I mean, that's natural. Paul says, look, I was, I was caught up to the third heaven. I, I, got, to, I got to hear things and see things that, that nobody else gets to see, that nobody else gets to hear. And it's my responsibility to declare these things that God has given for me and taught me while I was in His presence there. Naturally, we would all want to glory in that, wouldn't we? For though I would desire to glory, he said, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that was given to me, a thorn in the flesh. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. So Paul says, I, I, I had these revelations, I had these visions, I, I, I may have actually been there in body, I heard these things. I mean, if, if I, boy, let me tell you, if I wanted to brag on something, I could brag on me there. He said, I won't do that. I won't be such a fool. But because that was in him, he says, because that, that, that was, was part of his thinking. That is that natural part, that worldly wisdom that is in all. As Paul says, because it was there, there was given to him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him. And so Paul was given something. And there are all sorts of ideas, speculations about what that something may have been. It may have been something 
health-wise, it may have been something family-wise, it may have been just the, the, the Jews outwardly attacking him. Whatever the case may be, there was, there was a thorn in Paul's. There was something that was needling at Paul in him that was affecting his ability, he thought, to serve the Lord. There was something in him that was so tumultuous in his life, that was so so aggravating in him, that was so painful in his heart, that he felt like, I just cannot serve you, Lord, like I want to because of this messenger of Satan that's allowed to be in me. And he perceived that it was given to him to keep him humble. But he perceived this is too big. I can't handle this, Lord. This is too big for me. This, this is so aggravating. This is so painful. This is, this, is just, this is just in my way. And he says in verse number 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that, he might, that it rather might depart from me. Three times Paul went to pray. Lord, take this from me. You know how this is hurting me. You know how this is keeping me from, from serving you like I should. You know that how this is distracting to my heart and my mind. You know how this is tearing me down. Lord, take this thing from me. Take it from so I can serve you better, so I can be more effective in the work that you get. Take it from me, Lord. Three times he said he sought the Lord to remove that. And what is that great and glorious answer that the Lord gave to Paul in Paul's prayers? No. No. And we're going to be talking about the Lord's prayer. The Lord's prayer. The model prayer. I keep saying that. The model prayer this afternoon and our our phrase that we're going to be looking at today is thy will be done. Thy will be done. And God says, bring to me your prayers. Bring to me your petitions. Bring to me those things that are on your heart. Ask of me in faith. Ask, ask according to my will. Bring these things to me. I will hear you. I'm a good father and I give good gifts to my children. But sometimes, sometimes our prayers are answered in a way that we don't like them to be answered. No. I'm not going to do that. But he doesn't leave Paul at the no. He gives him the reason why. He gives him the reason why. And this reason why, the answer that Paul received from the Lord, changes Paul's perspective. That's what God's word should do to us. should change our perspective. 
Because when we're not thinking right, and God's Word tells us how we ought to think, or how we ought to act, or how we ought to behave, or how we ought to obey, when He tells us these things in His Word, that should be exactly what we then strive to do. Not only to do it, because He says to do it, but it should change our thinking about why we're doing it. And this changed Paul's perspective. And the change of Paul's perspective is miraculous. Because Paul saw this as a messenger of Satan to buffet him. He saw this as something tearing him down. And the Lord's answer, no. My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. The Lord's answer to Paul was, no, I'm leaving you with this thorn, Paul. I'm leaving you with this thorn. Because in... The weakness it brings in your life, my strength is going to shine out from you. My strength is going to shine out when, when you are at your weakest, my strength is going to shine. My grace, he says, is sufficient. Paul, I'll uphold you. I'll, I'll give you, Paul, exactly what you need. I will up, My grace is sufficient for thee. Now here's Paul's change. It was a messenger of Satan before. A messenger of Satan sent to buffet him, to tear him down, to beat upon him. And now when he receives the answer from the Lord, now, listen to what he says, most gladly, therefore. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, he says, whoo, this is hard. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. When trials, when tribulations, when battles, when sicknesses, when these valleys come into our lives, it's hard for us to see anything but the messenger of Satan sent to buffet us. God says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
Mm-mm. No, no, Paul, that's not the fact. <laughs> I'm going to use this to shine through you. I'm going to use this, this messenger. I'm going to use this infirmity. I'm going to use this strife. I'm going to use this trouble. I'm going to use this tribulation in your life to shine my grace through you. And so Paul says, I'll glory in those things then. I'll glory in those infirmities. I'll glory in those trials. I'll glory in those sicknesses and those distresses because I know God has a purpose for them in my life. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 28. It's hard for us in the midst of those things to see the good. But God in His grace for us, His love for us, He makes us a promise here. And his word will not return unto him void. He does exactly what he says he will do. And he says, as Paul writes this down here in verse number 28, we know that all things work together for good. What things? The good things? Yeah. Yeah, most definitely the good things. The mediocre things, yes, those mediocre things. The bad things, now right there, surely, surely we can draw a line there. All things. All things. For we know that all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, All of them. All of them. Work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. If we are His, If we are His, even the bad stuff in our lives, He's going to work for our good. That's counterintuitive to our thinking. Especially when we're in the midst of the valley itself, even when we're in that darkness there, and and when we feel like that we're all alone in it. His word will not return unto him void. He'll do exactly what he says he's going to do. He'll work it together for our good. He'll work it together for our good. That God can use even these bad things, these hurts, these, these trials, these sicknesses to work them together to bring out good Not only good in general, but good for us, you see. 
This is his promise to us. His people. Those that belong to him. That's, that's his promise to us. It changed Paul's whole perspective. I'll glory, he says in my infirmities. I'll glory in these distresses. I'll glory then in these trials because God is being honored in it and through my own weakness, He's going to shine. I'll glory in those things. Verse 29 here, for whom He did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What's Paul writing for us there? He's promised there whatever comes our way, whatever things come our way, He's going to work good for us in them. Work together for our good. And he's doing that. He's allowing those things in our life. He's bringing those things to pass in us. And he's working them together for our good. That's his promise to us. Because he is making us more and more like Jesus. He's sanctifying. He's cleaning us up. He's building us in Him. And as the song says, He's still working on me. How precious is His sanctification that even our failures God in His grace uses them to make us more like Christ. How wondrous. How wondrous is His grace. To make more like Christ. The one, as Hebrews 7 says, holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. To make us more like Him. That even, even in these trials, He would shine through us, showing forth His grace. Trust Him. Oh, trust Him. He will do what he says. His word will not, will not return unto him void. Trust him today. Believe him today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Without him, without him, these promises mean nothing. Without him, Romans 8, 28, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, without him, they don't apply to you. This is for his people. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ.
Believe on him. Be saved. Because it's only in him that these promises apply. Oh, the wonder. The wonder of the wisdom of God. The wonder of the wisdom of God that he would work such things for us, his people. Let's all stay. Brother Gordon, would you bring us a song?